day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. America is in the middle of a pandemic, and calls for major, major social and racial justice are rolling through the country. And yet, somehow, the stock market just had its best quarter in two decades. And here in Detroit, Quicken Loans recently announced plans to go public amid a recession. How is this possible? And what, if anything, can we learn from this disparity between Wall Street stability and everything else? Think of all the negative economic indicators that we hear and see about every day in our own lives. And yet the stock market is doing wonderfully. Here to talk with us about this disparity is Derek Thompson, who covers economics, technology, and media for The Atlantic. Derek, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great to be here. Thank you so much. So as I said in the intro, the stock market just had its best quarter in two decades, despite everything that is going wrong in America today. Let's start with why the stock market can be doing so well. Right. It's it's an incredibly bizarre thing, I think, when you look at the front page of the newspaper and it seems to be nothing but bad news. And then you turn to the business section and maybe the page at the back of the business section that includes stock performance or the Dow, or S&P 500, NASDAQ. And it looks like uh, a lot of stocks are doing sensationally well. Um, I think the first thing to say overall is that the stock market is not trying to reflect the recent past the same way the front page of a newspaper or the home page of a website is designed to reflect the recent past. The stock market is trying to predict the future. And it's not trying to predict the, the moral future or, or, the, or the future of how, how we'll feel about the world, how healthy we're going to be. It's trying to predict something relatively specific, which is the corporate performance of publicly traded companies. Mm-hmm. So the real question that we're trying to answer here is why is there a discrepancy between the news that we feel happening right now and the predicted future performance of large public companies? And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, let's, I'll say two first before we dig into some uh, something more bizarre reasons. The first is that uh, you have a lot of people who think that because of a vaccine, maybe in late 2020 or early 2021, because of the possibility of antivirals and uh, new improved treatments at hospitals that could uh, reduce the mortality rate, we're going to get a hold on this virus. Certainly not now, certainly not this week or next month, if you look at uh, the rising COVID cases and indeed rising deaths across the South. Uh, but later, sometime in the next six months to 18 months, we're going to get a hold on it, and most things will go back to normal. And if you believe that, then you should believe in the future performance of a lot of public companies, even if right now in the middle of July, things look absolutely terrible. The second thing, though, that's a little bit more fine-tuned is that the stock market is being driven by the performance of a handful of large tech companies, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Cisco, Adobe. These companies are the ones that are driving stock market gains this year. And if you think about it, that kind of makes sense. Think about how much of our lives have been funneled into virtual digital life. A lot of us can't go to restaurants. We can't go shopping at the stores that we love. Maybe some of our favorite small businesses have shut down or we're small business owners that have had to shut down. And a lot of economic activity and social activity has gone online, which means that you have these huge bets that are now being made on the future of digital businesses uh, that are going to grow only faster in the next decade. And so a lot of investors want a piece 
of that growth that they think is going to happen in the next decade in software. Hmm. If you put those two things together, the fact that the stock market is very forward-looking, whereas a lot of us are necessarily backward-looking, um, and the fact that a lot of these gains are being driven uh, by stock companies, not necessarily excuse me, by tech stocks, not by uh, the kind of stores that we interact with on a daily basis in the face-to-face world. And that, I think, explains the bulk of this huge divergence between the, the great pandemic, the terrible pandemic that we're going through, um, and the exceptional stock market performance the last few months. So let's talk about that disconnect then and how important it, it might be if, for instance, as you say, this is about predicting the performance of these companies in the future. Does that necessarily suggest that maybe we'll catch up? And those of us who are not benefiting from the boom in the stock market right now might see things get better in the future because of that? Great question. Yeah, it's a great question. If the stock market is a prediction of the future, then is that prediction right? Um, well, almost by definition, I can't tell you if it's right, but let's let's maybe imagine a scenario in which it is right. Let's imagine a scenario in which even though I and a lot of people that I know feel uh, pretty miserable about the state of things, uh, investors are correct uh, that overall things are going to get better uh, faster uh, than, than my friends and I think. Um, that scenario would look like this. Uh, what's happening right now is terrible, but let's say potentially the case growth uh, in the South, Arizona, Florida, Texas, uh, Southern California peaks in the next week. Um, perhaps deaths peak in early August. Uh, everything comes down in the fall. We remember on a state-to-state basis how to socially distance, how to wear masks, how to avoid indoor areas. We get a vaccine and antiviral drugs in the last quarter of this year. Those drugs are distributed uh, and adhered to and, and taken uh, in the first half of 2021. And by the time we're at in mid-July 2021, 12 months from now, things are not entirely normal, but maybe 80% to 90% normal. Uh, you have uh, lots of people who have antibodies, either from the disease itself or uh, from the vaccine, um, or, or viral uh, vaccine, vaccine protection um, that essentially does the same trick as antibodies. Um, and uh, as a result, you have all sorts of businesses coming back. People want to get on airplanes. They want to go uh, on trips. They want to go on vacations because, my God, they've been stuck in their house for the last 18 months. Um, they want to go back to their restaurants because they miss their friends. Uh, they want to do all these things that we were doing uh, in late 2019 before uh, this hell started. Um, that's a world in which things go back to normal fast enough that the stock market would be an accurate representation of the future, a representation of a future where, yes, some things change. A lot more economic activity goes into the virtual world of the Internet. Um, less of it maybe happens in the face-to-face world. Um, but largely, we are living normal-ish lives in a normal-ish economy uh, who, that, that is reflected and anticipated by a stock market that has rebounded uh, back to its pre-pandemic peak um, mm. after falling so quickly in March. Let's talk a little about the history of the stock market and why it exists. My understanding is pretty crude, I'm sure, compared to yours. But I think part of the idea of the stock market was to try to distribute wealth more widely in our society. In other words, that ordinary people would be able to buy a share of a company and benefit as that company did well in the same way that owners 
benefit. Uh, of course, they would never benefit to quite the same degree as people who actually own the company. But the idea was that uh, uh, people who, who didn't have the means to own uh, capital and move capital the way that uh, owners do uh, would, would share in, in the prosperity. How closely does the modern stock market reflect that reality today? It's a, that's a tough question. So my understanding of the origin of stock markets is that it basically goes back to Renaissance Italy uh, and uh, merchants of Ven- the, the actual merchants of Venice, essentially trying to find ways to help companies raise more funds. And they allowed them to uh, raise more funds by allowing individual investors to buy uh, a piece of, a percentage of uh, that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what that stock represents. Um, it is a is, it is a piece of that company's uh, uh, total worth, and so you could imagine on the one hand that, that yes, you are somewhat uh, inherently uh, democratizing uh, the 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 wealth, the ownership of wealth in a, in a single company by allowing people who aren't a part of that company to share uh, in its appreciation. At the same time, I I, I don't think. That at the moment, um, or really throughout uh, history, I mean, certainly 1300 Italy w- was not known for its economic equality um, uh, it, w- at all. Uh, in in fact, it was it was probably a far more unequal society than that in the United States today. Mm-hmm. And certainly, stock market wealth uh, is is not a, a vector for equality either. I believe something like 90 percent of corporate equity wealth is owned by the richest 10 percent of Americans. Um, so if we look at the stock market today, we are not seeing a morality play. We are seeing uh, a, a world that is, that is important to uh, the functioning of our public companies, but uh, whose wealth is absolutely disproportionately owned uh, by the rich in a way that ex- accentuates and you could say exacerbates wealth uh, inequality. Um, now, there are, there are ways to fix this. Um, you could raise taxes on capital gains and distribute those funds uh, to lower income Americans. Uh, you could raise taxes on the overall income uh, of corporate executives, of people making over $500,000, million, and distribute those funds to lower-income Americans. You could even do something slightly more radical, um, uh, which I believe uh, Norway has done, and to a certain extent Alaska as well, um, and create a public fund that invests in these public markets and distributes that wealth to Americans um, uh, a little bit like a, like a social security check, but that is basically uh, a, a, a publicly owned portfolio of corporate equities. Um, there are a variety of ways to make the stock market more equitable, yes, but I, I, I don't think I would say that the stock market itself was invented for the purpose of making uh, uh, economic of, of making the economy more equal um, we still have that chance before us today um, but that wasn't necessarily the original purpose of it mm. I'm talking with Derek Thompson a staff writer at the Atlantic where he writes about economics technology and the media he's also author of hitmakers and the host of a podcast called crazy genius we are talking about the boom in the stock market that is taking place even as other indicators of strength in the American economy are really flagging things like unemployment, things like businesses going down. All of the repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic still seem to be having a profound impact, not only on the economy in general, but on our individual pocketbooks. And meanwhile, 
those of us who own stocks are doing quite well. What is the reason for those disparities? How should we think about those disparities? And how should we think about the changes that people are calling for, uh, some in our economy, to be able to address those disparities? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us whether you're following the stock market. Do you have uh, stocks? Uh, and have you been concerned with the market volatility that we've experienced? Uh, or are you really pleased with the boom that is taking place? Uh, also, give us an idea of what role you think the stock market actually plays in predicting or giving us a sense of what is going on in the American economy. And should there be different ways for us to Take the temperature of the American economy. Should there be different ways for us to distribute wealth in this country uh, other than the stock market? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Eric on Twitter says, a lot of the market's performance can be attributed to various stimulus packages that gave money to institutions and investors and not to actual people. Pumping cash into those with nothing to do with it but buy stock. That's an interesting perspective, Derek Thompson. Is that part of what is going on here? Uh, that is not how I would describe uh, what happened in March. Uh, here is I would describe what happened in March. Uh, the economy was falling off a cliff. We had accelerating COVID cases. The Federal Reserve announced that it would do whatever it takes to make sure there wasn't a financial crisis, the sort that would clearly exacerbate uh, this, this, this awful, awful year uh, and drive us deeper into a depression. It lowered interest rates, which Yes, you could say, uh, was good uh, for, for assets overall. It allowed companies to, to borrow more cheaply, and it encouraged uh, people to uh, take their wealth, take their, their savings and investments, move it away from bonds, uh, which weren't going to return a very high rate, move it into equities, into corporate equities, that is to say, uh, publicly traded stocks, Microsoft, Amazon, etc. At the same time, though, we passed the CARES Act. The CARES Act was a $2 trillion economic relief bill, the largest economic relief package ever signed in American history. It delivered $1,200 checks to tens of millions of families and increased unemployment insurance by $600 a week for every single recipient. Um, we, so it, it, it is not the case that ordinary Americans did not benefit from economic relief packages passed in March, they benefited from the checks, from unemployment insurance if they lost their jobs, and they also benefited from the payroll protection program, uh, which paid companies to keep people employed. Uh, and I believe people remained employed in large part because uh, of that policy. So I do think that you know there's a lot of anger about the pandemic right now. There's a lot of anger about the way that the pandemic. Uh, is interacting with wealth inequality, especially as people uh, are frustrated by the fact that this has shut down their business, shut down their communities, maybe killed their friends and family. And at the same time, they see the stock market rising and they think that rich people are, are getting away with this. Well, it's absolutely the case that wealth inequality uh, is a pernicious scourge in this country, and we should find ways to pass laws to reduce wealth inequality. But that fact, that moral fact, does not give us a blank check to say things like ordinary people aren't being helped at all by the federal government, because they are. 
Um, and, and it's important, I think, to, to keep both those things in mind, especially as we urge the federal government to pass another CARES Act, give families another check of $1,000 or $1,200, keep unemployment insurance bumped up by 400 to $600 uh, through the rest of the year. Um, we should urge Congress uh, to go back to that well to help families again, because they did help families in March. Yeah. You know, that's one of the more difficult parts of understanding and thinking about the economy is the complexity that's involved, that that uh, there aren't a whole lot of things that are just one way or the other. There's there's often a lot going on in, in these questions. And as you say, frustration about how badly things are going for people generally at the lower end of the economic scale sometimes leads to reactionary kinds of response. But uh, again, it is really important to, to, to think about it in these kind of contextual and nuanced uh, terms. Let's go to Jim in Southfield. Jim, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Hey. Uh, as you say, I just had a comment, and it has struck me for a long time that the Dow Index stock market just doesn't reflect the economy perhaps especially of us in the Midwest. I mean, the tech sector in California is well represented by the Dow or whatever, NASDAQ. The financial services of the East Coast, well represented by the stock market. But production in the flyover country, non-existent. Mm. Uh, I have to think that uh, while it's interesting, we really should be reporting on some other measure of the health of how the country is doing for the people. I mean, after all, let's face it, economy is an abstract construct. It's really ultimately about what are people doing in the country, how are they doing, and how well are we doing for them. And to my mind, the stock market is interesting, needs to be there, but not doesn't have much relevance to uh, it's everyday life. It's not telling life. us much about that. Yeah. Jim, that's a really interesting it's a really interesting point. Uh, Derek Thompson, I wonder if you can yeah. talk about what kinds of indicators people should be more attuned to, perhaps, to get those kinds of data points or that kind of information that Jim's talking about rather than the stock market. Jim is absolutely right. Uh, the stock market is not the entire economy. Uh, and if you ever hear somebody on this show, on any other show, in your life, in your living room, say the economy is doing well uh, because the Dow Jones industrial average is up 3% in the last week, uh, they are giving you a terrible, terrible read on the economy because the stock market is not the whole economy. At the same time, and I'm sorry that I keep caveating my answers to everything, but as you said, the economy is kind of complicated. Mm -hmm. The economy is really complicated. You know, saying the stock market is not the economy is like saying, you know, my neck is not my body. It is, of course, the case that your neck is not your body. The stock market is not the economy, but your neck is a part of your body. And if, the, and if it's doing something weird, then you should probably look into it. Um, the economy is many, many things. It's furniture sales. It's food service employment. It's average home values in Idaho. Uh, it's, it's the rise of construction uh, in, in Florida, um, and it's the restaurant industry of Michigan. All these things are economic indicators. And if any of them are doing something weird, you should look into it because it might tell you something about the broader economy. So in the stock market, which is not the whole economy, but is a part of the economy, it represents trillions of dollars of wealth. Uh, it's responsible for a lot of people's 401ks, a lot of people's pension funds, a lot of people's retirement. 
accounts. That's a real part of the economy. When the stock market is doing something weird, as it clearly is, we should look into it. And I do think that, that sometimes there's a, a little bit of a uh, – of a of an inclination or of an instinct to say that the stock market is entirely divorced from what the real economy is about, and I I just want to caution on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely the case that if people are betting on the growth of Amazon, that that growth is divorced from, in some ways, the physical brick and mortar retail economy that exists on your street because. If people are betting on Amazon, that might be because they think that the kind of stores that exist on your street are less likely to exist uh, in, in the next 10 years. So, yes, there's absolutely a divergence. Um, but I also think it's really important when the economy, uh, sorry, excuse me, when the stock market is doing something bizarre, uh, that we look closely at it um, and, and make sure that we analyze it beyond simply saying um, that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is not a perfect reflection, a perfect microcosm of the entire economy. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Derek Thompson of The Atlantic, and we want to continue to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Derek Thompson of The Atlantic. We're talking about the stock market, which is doing really well right now, even as many Americans find themselves in really precarious financial circumstances. We're talking about that disparity between uh, investors and the rest of the American economy and what the stock market really is there to do in our economy and to tell us about the economy. Of course, we want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to make them part of the conversation. Uh, V on Twitter has a really interesting uh, question and observation. Uh, While the stock market may be doing great, I would love to know how much the credit card debt has gone up since March of 2020. Where can someone find that information? Uh, Of course, the the amount of debt that Americans are are carrying is one of the indicators of economic health. Derek Thompson, what do we know about what has happened in that realm since the pandemic started? That's a good question. Uh, and I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I, it, was, it was not the article that I, uh, that I wrote. Yeah. Um, it looks to me like uh, total consumer credit uh, has declined um, between, uh, I guess, it looks like it peaked in January 2020, which is not surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when the business cycle seemed to peak. Um, and it has uh, declined somewhat in the last, uh, yeah, it, it's basically declined starting in February 2020, which is the beginning of, uh, of the recession. Uh, according to economists. Hmm. Um, we saw the exact same thing in 2008. We saw uh, consumer credit increasing basically actually then until July of 2008, and then it declined uh, until November of 2010. Um, and this is one of the things that economists are worried about, is that you can sometimes have uh, 
people who don't recover or indicators who don't recover from the recession, even after the recession is over. Uh, another one is state and local government employment. Um, we saw state and local government uh, jobs declining for years after the end of the Great Recession, which is one of the reasons why it's so unbelievably important for the federal government to uh, uh, to appropriate money to give to states and local governments to make sure that we don't have that same uh, that same decline. But yeah, it, it, it does indeed look like, as, as you anticipated, um, the consumer credit peaked uh, in February 2020 has declined a little bit, not not, not dramatically, frankly, uh, in the last few months, although it frankly has only been um, a few months. One of the reasons uh, why the decline in consumer credit might not be as dramatic as the overall economic uh, downturn uh, is, is two things we've already mentioned. Uh, one is that the federal government uh, gave families a, a trillion dollars uh, in March and April, uh, whether it was through the $1,200 checks, the bumped up unemployment insurance, uh, or through the subsidized payrolls in the PPP, Payroll Protection mm-hmm. Program. The other is that even if Americans couldn't necessarily spend money in their communities, literally going to stores, going to restaurants, they could still send that money online. They could still spend it in grocery stores, in supermarkets, in pharmacies, which have remained open. Uh, and so even if a lot of Americans aren't spending as much, particularly higher income Americans, aren't spending as much as they were in January this year, they still have places they can spend their money. It's just that those places uh, are, are a little bit more likely uh, to be via websites. Mm-hmm. Again, thanks very much for the question, V. Let's go to Fred in Farmington. Fred, welcome to the program. Good morning. You know, glad to be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm old enough that I can remember the time when people bought stock for the dividends. That was a nice supplement to their income <laughs> uh, rather than what they're doing now. It's like a casino now. You you buy stock to, to gamble on what's going to happen. Uh, more importantly, the corporations, instead of being constant, instead of concentrating on the value of their product, they're concentrating on the value of their stock. Of the stock, sure. They're doing everything they can to make their stock look good, even if it sometimes uh, is not good for their product. Mm. Yeah, uh, Fred, that is a, a really great observation. I'm glad you called and, and made it. Uh, Derek Thompson, this gets, I think, to some of what I was getting at earlier about the history of the stock market and the way it's changed over time. It is true that people once upon a time, would invest in a stock and wait a significant amount of time for it to pay some sort of return in order for them to, to get some sort of benefit from it. And it doesn't really work that way anymore. And, and I think that also has a profound influence on corporate culture, as Fred says, that it drives decision-making in a really different direction than we maybe used to have used to, to, to expect from from companies. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's actually kind of interesting. So I, I do think it, it, it is the case. Uh, I, I have not written about this in the last few years. I do believe it is the case in the last few years. Uh, dividend payments have declined. Uh, some of that is because you have the largest uh, stock uh, appreciation among companies like say Amazon that have really thin profit margins, but really fast revenue growth. And mm-hmm. so uh, as the key metric has shifted uh, to revenue growth or cash flow uh, and away from profit, uh, there's less profit to, to uh, distribute via dividend. At the same time, though, you know, 
uh, it, it's not as if, you know, in the glory days, dividends were huge and, and now they're zero. Uh, it, they go up and down over time. Um, I believe that after uh, the Bush tax cut of 2001 to, or in 2003, um, you saw a, a rather strong growth uh, in, in total regular dividends um, uh, since the beginning of 2003 after that tax cut was passed. So it's possible, I, again, I, I, I am not an expert in the history of dividends, but that uh, dividend growth was really strong in the 2000s, mm-hmm. um, but then it has fallen off a bit um, in, in the last decade. Um, I don't want to expand on this too far because I really don't know that much about it, but it, it just is the case, I believe, more generally. Um, uh, that uh, that there are some companies that you're going to invest in because of the dividend, and there's other companies you're going to invest in because even though uh, their profit is uh, small, uh, their profit is small because their cash flow is high and they're using all of their cash to spend it um, on capital expenditures or new stuff, whether mm-hmm. it's Amazon or Netflix, basically taking all the money in, spending it on you know new uh, new warehouses uh, and new uh, movies in the case of Netflix, um, and that that is fueling their growth. So yeah, you, you do have some behavioral changes, I suppose, in corporate policy from the last few years that would affect the, uh, the, the popularity of dividends as an investment strategy. Okay, Derek Thompson of The Atlantic, it is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for being here with us for this conversation. Absolutely, thank you. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Karen McDonald, who is running as a Democrat for Oakland County Prosecutor, challenging sitting prosecutor Jessica Cooper. We will find out why she is asking people in Oakland County to vote for her. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 